Chapter Nine of Notes on the Broads and Rivers of Norfolk and Suffolk by Harry Britton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Horning to Potterham and Waxham. Notwithstanding our having retired so early the night before, I felt very much inclined to have a good layout. Jack turned out, however, with George at seven o'clock and they worked with such a will that in less than half an hour i could hear the yacht had started such an unusual luxury as lying in bed whilst the yacht was under canvas was too good to continue long without some interruption and presently as we ran into a scant reach i was very nearly following jack's example of a few days before when i thought of wedging myself in as it were with the table this expedient proved quite a success and made me so comfortable that although the cabin doors were unshipped i simply refused to turn out when i at last emerged from the cabin i seated myself on the stern sheets just as i had left my bed in the assurance that no one would be stirring so early in the morning i lazily lounged about in this state of undress enjoying the fresh breeze to the full presently i heard sounds of laughter ahead and to my discomfiture a fishing party was passed just after perhaps after making such a gratuitous exhibition of yourself you'll go inside and dress said jack i took his advice immediately and made a determination not to air myself again in a similar manner by nine o'clock we reached potterhyam bridge and at once sent george to hear if our friend had turned up whilst we prepared breakfast this was nearly ready when our man returned and informed us that nothing had been seen or heard of any one inquiring for us we were halfway through our meal when we were surprised to hear shouts of buttercup ahoy buttercup ahoy from the opposite side of the stream and jack volunteered to row over and see what was amiss he soon returned with a telegram addressed to me which proved to be from his missing brother announcing that it would be utterly impossible for him to come in consequence of another engagement i don't know if the old couplet which runs blessed are they who live near potterheim and doubly blessed those who live in it may apply to temporary residents but from events which happened on our return some days later i am inclined to think this is not the case when clear of the two bridges and our sails again set a spirit of mischief appeared to possess john in this case poor george was the victim and a mop was the instrument of torture used at last george could stand it no longer but chased jack around the decks catching him however proved rather a difficult matter but at last the mop struck against the main shrouds and was jerked from john's hand into the water 
notwithstanding his protest that it was only an old one i insisted on his either fetching it or buying me a new one when there is anything to do on board jack is one of the quickest and handiest amateurs in norfolk so a row in the dinghy for the missing mop was a very small matter accomplished in a very short space of time somehow or another even when he returned my chum could not on this particular morning rest quietly he appeared to want some object on which to vent his overflow of animal spirits and luckily for george he at last undertook to give the decks a good scrubbing i have only recently spoken of his energy on the yacht so it will not much surprise my reader when i say that positively in less time than it takes me to write he was bare to the feet and with trousers turned up to his knees had commenced operations such an example soon put my laziness to the blush and i quickly joined in the healthful exercise the cabin top also came in for a share of elbow grease and one way or another the yacht looked all the better for our exertions more especially as jack insisted on the brasswork being likewise polished up all this took some little time and we had sailed through kendall dyke and were halfway across higham sounds before we settled down to enjoy our well-earned rest i believe my yacht is the largest which now attempts the navigation of these waters and i rather glory in the fact certain it is that boats of a heavier draught lose a great deal in not being able to explore this section of the district which is perhaps the most interesting of all if i were asked to define the charm this part of our lakeland undoubtedly possesses i should be puzzled to say what i feel i think i cannot do better than quote the following passage from the introduction to lubbock's fauna of norfolk by mr southwell fellow of the zoological society let the reader drift quietly through higham sounds on a glorious night in the early autumn the dying breeze just stirring the sails of his yacht and raising the slightest possible ripple on the surface of the lake only enough to make more brilliant the moonbeam's burnished path along the water and to wake the whispering reeds the stillness broken only by the cry of some startled water-bird or the splash of a monster fish as it darts into the reed-beds and he will behold a scene which no artist can depict and which will haunt his memory for many a day nor will the sights and sounds on a fine night early in summer be easily forgotten during the day not a wing may have been seen but after sundown the place is alive with the song of the reed birds the air resounds with the bleat of the snipe water-hens and coots are calling in all directions 
and many are the strange sounds borne on the soft air of evening which reach his ear the personal experience which mr southwell no doubt reflected in such poetical language it is to my mind the best word picture ever drawn of our lakes was in some way my own on an equally charming evening some years ago my yacht was moored in the dyke which branches from the northeast end of Higham, and whilst my companion prepared tea i rowed in the dinghy across the upper end of the sounds and then through whitesley to hickling broad just as the light was deepening in such lovely tints as i fear almost to attempt to describe the sun had set in a perfect blaze of crimson-like gold and the lake reflected all this in a manner almost magical i remember lying over the bow of my boat and watching the wonderful effects of light and shade on the mirror-like surface of the water until the gloaming deepened almost into darkness even then the sky appeared loth to relinquish its clothing of varying colour here and there a line of deep blood-red remained whilst the broad retained its borrowed glory till at last night really closed in upon it i wish i could put into words all i felt that night as i lay in the little craft i stayed until i hardly dared to wait any longer so much had the enchantment of it all crept around me and on reading over my very imperfect attempt at word-painting i feel how utterly bald and inexpressive it is to return to our trip and the yacht which by this time has crossed the broad and entered the old meadow dyke this channel is very narrow and winds about in the most irregular manner whilst as the yacht passes through it one's boom is often yards over the edge of the rond and appears to be sweeping down the waving rush and reed i had always up till now considered this dyke and the mere it drains about as much out of the world as any spot in east anglia on this occasion i determined on penetrating still further if possible much to the disgust of george who declared we should find ourselves landed on the mud for dares finding me obdurate he at last yielded although insisting on having the mainsail lowered so as to decrease our speed i ought to explain that the navigation we were about to attempt to explore is known as the pauling and waxham cut in the morning as we left higham an old wherryman had been most emphatic in warning us not to think of it and when at last we turned our backs on horsey mere and were fairly into the cut i must confess to wishing i had taken his advice compared with this tiny channel the old meadow dyke is a great river and it may be as well to say that a friend of mine who has since measured it finds it is under twenty feet wide in parts 
this only allows a space of less than a couple of yards on each side of the buttercup so it will be gathered we were cutting it rather fine when about half a mile up we felt the yacht gradually pull up and feared we had at last run aground we kept on however and presently the soft gurgling sound always heard as my boating readers know when a yacht runs on the putty ceased and we breathed a little more freely from this point there seemed to be a little more water anyway we did not ground again the oft-repeated comparison of the drainage of our norfolk marshland with that of holland would not apply anywhere with greater force than here as the marshes adjoining the tiny canal are very noticeably lower than the surface of the water the river wall or rather dyke wall is in splendid preservation and one could jump ashore with the yacht under way with the greatest ease jack and i did this several times and once or twice ran a good way ahead of the boat and then lay down flat thereby losing sight of the water and watched the buttercup pass john remarked that it was more like a dioramic effect than anything he had ever seen at last we reached waxham bridge and had some idea of trying to go on to Pauling, but were informed there was a floating bridge about half way which would give us a lot of trouble so we made everything snug and strolled down to the beach which is only about ten minutes walk away the large warren we had to cross is bordered on its eastern side by very lofty sand hills covered with marram grass acting as a safeguard against possible inroads by the sea it was great fun to climb these banks although it reminded one of the irishman who went two steps backward every one he took forward it was i thought on gaining the summit very peculiar to notice on one side the diminutive channel of fresh water with the buttercup's mast standing out very boldly in the general flatness and then on the other to watch the ships at sea i don't know if this peculiarity is absolutely unique but i should not think many similar instances could be adduced on the coastline of our tight little isle it was really a most delightful change to get to the seashore once again and we enjoyed to the full the novelty lying prominently on the beach was a stranded porpoise dead and as we neared it jack commenced throwing the largest stones he could find with all his force at the carcass as one result of this it gave forth a most pestiferous odour and we were glad to get out of its way larking about like schoolboys the time very quickly passed and i for one was not sorry when we at last started for the buttercup and dinner on our way over the banks george suggested we should each fill our handkerchiefs 
with the beautifully clean sand for use on the decks which somehow were not looking so white as they should this we agreed to and collected enough to last the entire trip on our return to the yacht george started on the preparation of a grand stew my man i may say is especially great on stews and we amused ourselves by reading presently somebody asked for a knife and i then discovered that i had lost a beautiful one given me by my two chums jack and braddy a few months previously as i remembered using it just before we started for the beach i had no doubt i dropped it on the sands i therefore determined to walk down and have a good look before breakfast the next morning dinner over jack continued his book and i tried to make some notes but somehow could not get my loss out of my head so i gave it up as a bad job at about nine o'clock we were so tired that we discussed the advisability of turning in it happened that george had been missing for half an hour or so and i was just inquiring where he had gone when one of the sliding hatches which divide my cabin from the forepeak opened and the individual in question commenced passing our beds and rugs through this very broad hint we very willingly fell in with and as jack remarked when the lights were extinguished it was the earliest time on record End of chapter nine